For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 327 of This Old Marketing for Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and, you know, maybe the only guy who hasn't actually hacked Board Ape Yacht Club, Mr. Joe Polizzi. It's, you know... They, it's it's getting crazy. I, I mean, it's, the, it, it's like it wouldn't be Tuesday without some sort of hack of the Board Ape Yacht Club. It is. That's why we need to get a lot further in our security and not be. I mean, really, if you fall for one yeah, wrong link, if you click on <laughs> one wrong link. And by the way, oh, this yeah, is it's awful. the last one that happened. I know, I'm sure you're referring to the one where the social media guy for Board Ape Yacht Club, he lost whatever. He clicked on the wrong link got access to his yep. accounts and everyone bought yep. a bunch of other side NFTs that they weren't whatever got uh, it's a it was like a 360,000 bucks or something like that it was pretty significant oh exactly yeah but yeah it's it's here's it's the thing tough. though i they keep referring to them as hacks which is something that has sort of just annoyed me because n- no one's hacking him like nothing's getting hacked it's here fishing. this is truly it's fishing it's fishing it it, it is yes. basically a you know it is a socially now there's a technology solution obviously behind it because they are nefarious links that are getting sent but the access to these things is being done through social engineering and right. you know whether it's sending a, a an email that looks kind of interesting or you know a, a calling up someone and getting their password or whatever it is that's how they're getting no one's hacking into board ape yacht club by you know they're they're basically getting in through you know a key that was given to them you know sir, you know uh, unceremoniously and unknowingly that's actually right? a really so, that's a really good point because a lot of people listening to this probably say oh my god Joe and Robert are talking about getting hacked all you're right we you do not it is nearly impossible to get hacked that's a whole different thing it is right. you're, you're talking about the person has to do the owner of the NFTs has to do something to allow the person to get access to the account that's it. That's right. And social engineering which is, the, is a really is good the, way to put it. Yeah. Which is the positive side of this, if there is one, which is that it can be trained out, right? It can be edu- educated out uh, if you, you know, if you, if you take your time with it, right? You know, because I, I don't know about you, but I have, you know, my my wife uh, and one of my really good friends. They always, you know, because I've, you know, you know, of course, like. Like most of us that are, you know, that are semi, you know, have careers in the technology world, we become that guy in our family. I don't know if you're that guy in your family, but yeah. no, well, you have your kids, but, you know, but generally speaking, I'm that guy in my family that, you know, oh, if the computer's broken, it's Call. Robert's problem, right? And so, Call Bob, hey, Bob. And so, Bob the fix it yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. So that's right. But I also get like they forward me emails that say, you know, hey, is this is this legit? You know, and they're getting really good. You know, they used to be like really obvious. You know that it was. You know, I'm like, really, you you would fall for this, right? You know, with misspelling and the grammar and everything. It's like, you know, but lately, it's. I mean, I've seen some of the ones that are coming. Like, you think they're coming from Amazon or UPS, 
And there's no grammatical error. I mean, if you didn't actually just sort of hover over the link and That's see right. that it's going to, you know, xyzlmnopq.com, then you would be, you, you would be effed. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting. So it's, it's, you have to really keep your, keep an eye out. It's interesting too. I mean, th- this, this is going to be a major issue of our time for the next 10 years. I was reading uh, Paul Reitzer's new book on AI for marketing, and they were going on and on about deep, deep fakes and how crazy good they are getting and will get even better over the next 12 to 24 months where, you know, they, anyone could create a video that looks like anyone else that sounds like anyone else. And how do you deal with that as a human being? Yeah. How do you know? So yeah. all this stuff. I hear some of the tools are getting better at detecting that though. There are there are there are there's sort of an arms war going on right now with the being able to detect deep fakes versus being able to fool the deep fakes. So I think in many ways that that that'll be the interesting thing to watch, which is you know, the the sort of arms race for for how good those things get versus people like Google and Facebook and Twitter, you know, the places where those videos will sit in distribution are at detecting them, right? To be able to say, to market, to flag it, this is a deep fake. And just back to the NFTs really quick. There's a, there was a lot of discussion, actually, because you and I were talking on this old marketing last week about this issue. There was some discussion on our Tilt Discord about this. And just Best practice is whatever you're using to buy your NFT. If it's a valuable NFT, then just move it to a different account. Just transfer it to a different yeah. account. You'd never have to worry about that's that right. other account. Because if something does happen to your, what they call a hot wallet, one that's connected, it's fine. Doesn't have a lot of money in it. Doesn't have anything valuable in it. It's okay. Um, so just do that and you're going to 99.9% of the time, you're going to be okay. But yeah, it's a little bit... It's a little bit scary, and I know you like to go out there and buy your, you know, three dollars Solana NFTs that are that are funky looking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're going I out do. on a ledge there. You, mine are, yeah. I, basically, here's the thing: if if somebody tried to hack into me or or send me a phishing thing to get into my wallet, you're really going to be disappointed when you get in there and look around because it is. It's a $3 Solana F. What I think has that become was, like I a, thought yours was. Wait a minute, is that a thing now? It's like is, <laughs> is is a Solana NFT like, you know, how we say, "Ooh, you know, no, he could have bought just, a real NFT, no, but he got no a Solana rip, NFT." No rip on a Solana a Solana NFT. There's no it's just a different different platform if you will there's some very this episode good brought to you by solana <laughs> <laughs> no actually i thought that yours was compromised but then they were so disheartened when they got the wallet they yes, just sent it all that's back right. to you they just gave it all back yeah they just gave it all back they're like what they're like, is this we don't even want this is yeah. this even a thing but anyway. i still have my i still have my mona lisa my mona lisa that was your first one holding right? a dogecoin yeah it was my very first one I, I and i don't think i'll ever sell it and until you know I don't they, because it's and it's not worth anything. By the way, the, the whole that whole collection is like I don't know, you but it's like point oh one ETH or something. It's like worth you know, it's worth ten bucks or something. It's like uh, no, you no, never no. know. That could be the winner. You don't. That could you be. don't know. You don't. I think know. twenty. I think when people look back, though, I've heard this. This is not original thinking. I've heard this before. Twenty twenty one was the breakout year for NFTs, and any NFT that you purchased during that time it's going to have a little bit of a feeling like you opened like the first set of tops baseball cards or you know it, it's there's going to be some nostalgia associated with that i believe 
because they oh there might yeah. you know not that might. your Mona Lisa will be I worth mean, anything but yeah you'll feel better about it yeah. because it was from 2021 and that was the year it all took off and we got uh, all crazy people stuff about it and here we are although I like, like I know, like what's going on now I, I I know we have news and stuff to get to but I like the current crypto environment. I like the fact that everything pulled back. I like the fact that you don't have people going crazy. I love the NFT programs that are utility-based, that actually have something behind them, that you have a real loyal community. They're very smart. Like These are the things that you're starting to see now that you push all the, oh, my God, you know, this thing's taking well, off. Well, yeah. A lot there's of still a lot of that out there, just to be clear. There is, you know, but you're not seeing the speculation that you did nine months ago. You're just no, not seeing it. for sure. Well, there's yeah, and the, and the economy has a lot to do with that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of which, speaking of which, the sort of frothiness of the market, uh, you know, our friend, uh, you know, and I think I can call him our friend at this point. Um, our friend Elon Musk oh, seems to be yes, good, uh, close backing of out of the uh, uh, the Twitter deal, like like surprising absolutely no one, right? That that he's. It's funny. Back, trying to back out. Because <laughs> when, when you and I were putting the show flow together, I'm looking at this, and the, the article that I'm looking at right now is from CNN. It says, Elon Musk threatens to walk away from Twitter deal, and I have to check the date that it was updated. Because yeah, exactly. literally right. every two days, <laughs> Elon Musk threatens to walk away from the Now, the one I'm looking at right now is from yesterday. So this is fresh news. So yes, so this is because th- he thinks yeah, go ahead. he's he's saying that uh, that Twitter is is stalling him on his exploration of how many bots there are, and it's like, uh huh, yeah, okay, really? Is is that is that what it is today, Elon? Okay, go you go you go do you. <laughs> I thought that you're when you and I talked about I don't know was this like three weeks ago where we were talking about if you took out the bot stuff, the revenue and the profit per user goes up. So right. That's exactly right. I, I think that Twitter should be like, oh, yeah, we've got all kinds of bots. We're going to take our users down from 300 active users down from 300 million to 240 million or whatever. And now our revenue goes up. And theoretically, the price yeah. of the stock should go up as well. Yeah. The value per the value per real user is is much higher. I, I have not for the life of me. I can't figure out why they haven't sort of done that, because at this point, they've got nothing to lose. It's not like if they, you know, it, it, there's 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 not a lot of other value that can get sucked out of it. So coming out and saying you're absolutely right, Elon, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, uh, Rand Fishkin and the folks who did the analysis on it, you know, and said how many were actually bots. In fact, it's not five percent; it's twenty five percent. And so twenty five percent, we're going to get rid of all of them. We're going to get we're just going to do a fell swoop and get rid of all these bots, all these the good and the bad. Basically, you know, let let the good ones start over again or whatever. We're going to get rid of all. We're just going to do a clean sweep. And guess what? That brings our user per human or value per human user up to whatever it is, which rivals Facebook or rivals LinkedIn whatever or rivals anybody yeah, else, exactly. you know, for, for real people. Now, the numbers will go down, but the value goes up. It's like when you prune your email list, right? You know, you, you prune your email list and you get rid of all the bounces and unsubscribes. Yeah, your total number of sends goes down. So people might be mad. But your open rate, click-through rate goes up. Yep. Absolutely. Everything else goes up through the roof, right? You know, you start to you start to really see what's 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 actually real 
and you get a bump in conversion rates. It's like it, it, there's 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 definitely a plus side. But to what that. this is what I want them like. Okay, great. CNN covers this. There's nothing in this article that I'm looking at that's anything different than the other 72 that are out there. I would love it if somebody said, "Well, we talked to you know media valuation expert X Y Z, and he or she or they say that we're exactly what we're talking about." I'm like, why doesn't somebody, I wish somebody from the media would, like, why are we the only ones? I wish somebody from the media would call us, right? Why are we the only ones talking about this? That's that's what I want. Obviously, he's a really good friend of ours. We're two chuckleheads, right? (laughs) Does does anybody care? Nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. But the the, the listeners of this, we all know know that that we, we should not follow for Elon or Twitter, whatever they're doing. They're living in Mambi land, whatever that is. I don't <laughs> That's the name of the show. That's the name of this episode. It's welcome to Mamby Land. <laughs> Do you know I did? Should we name, get to the news? You know I Should did, we get to the news? I did name the show last week. Remember I, I did told you that, I said yes. I was going to name yeah, it the solar system. The yeah. solar system, and I did. Now the great thing about these titles that I'm coming up with, they're really fun to, for me to do, and I can find good imagery with it. But they're not so good for SEO. Because nobody's going to be searching no, for sponsorships in the solar system. But if they did, if they if you do it right now, we come up first. So maybe it's smart. Welcome to Bambi Land could get some <laughs> get could get some sponsorships though. <laughs> that that could be good. I like it. I'm all in. All in. All right. What do we got? All right. Let's. We got some fun news. We got some fun things to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about SPACs uh, and how they are spackling or splattering, depending on your point of view, against the wall. Uh, We're going to, well, let's just be honest, I'm going to gloat a little bit around uh, Clubhouse's latest news. Um, And then we're going to talk about a new search engine uh, that Ahrefs, Ahrefs, I should say, uh, the SEO company is launching called Yep. We're going to say yep to yep. Uh, And then we'll talk about in a galaxy far, far away, uh, this new startup, which is going to have uh, a launch of creator coins. And Joe and I will discuss a little bit about that. My commentary will be surprise, surprise. I know none of you will be shocked about data and ads. Uh, The announcement coming out of WWDC for Apple, as well as some uh, news from Meta talking about ads and uh, targeting and personalization. And then Joe is going to talk about the recession that's coming and why it might not be that bad for anybody. Um, And that's what we got. So uh, what do you think about all that? Here's what I think about. There's really nothing in Google on Mamby land, but there's a lot on Mamby Pamby land. There's a a whole thing. There's not. Mamby Pamby land? Mamby Pamby land. Yes. It's in the Urban Dictionary. I, and I think it's it worthy it's, of this as, show. As a land, I know Mamby Pamby is a thing, but but you're saying Mamby Pamby Land. land is no, here thing. it is. Okay. So, <laughs> because you're going to have to, I don't know what this means. So, here it is. It's, <laughs> sorry. Mamby oh, Pamby God. Land. It says. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well. Yeah, we've, we've run down <laughs> no, a rabbit says, hole, folks. I don't even know what these things are. It says, where jack wagons chug on over to hopefully find self-confidence. And here's the here's the sentence. It says, maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby land, where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jack wagon. How what? is that spelled? What, <laughs> what Mamby Pamby land? Mamby Pamby, is it B-Y-B-Y? Yeah. Is it Mamby Pamby B-Y yeah. land? Mamby, like B-Y. Pamby B Y land, Pamby Pamby land. 
I just said I am such a boomer. I don't even know what that sentence means. What is what is that? What's a jack wagon? I don't. I don't. I don't even. Is that? I'm. A, you know. Okay. While you were actually doing that, I went out and bought the domain. So sorry, folks. I went out and bought it. Mambypambyland.com is now taken. Oh, there's a so, Geico commercial go. called Sarge, Sarge, Sergeant, Sarge Mamby Pamby Land. There's, oh my God, okay. there's so many things. All, all the things. Well, all the things. Well, I now own the domain, so there you Good go. Good for you. There, That's nobody. Okay. Well, yeah. There, there you yeah. go. Okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> we talk. have, let's we have sufficiently this. jumped the shark on this. Let's, let's jump when to When I our can't first talk story. for a minute, yeah, it's never. Well, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe that was the best part of the show. It mean? might be. Maybe. It might be. It might turn out to be. But we'll let the audience decide here. <laughs> uh, we're going to start our first story here from the wonderful newsletter, A Media Operator. Uh, we've quoted from them before, and they're just a wonderful newsletter. Uh, and the headline here is, The Easy Liquidity is Gone. The article opens up by saying, There's something special about a lockup period. After a company goes public... Most shareholders are locked from selling their shares. This ensures that the stock doesn't instantly tank when it goes public, and most significant holders have to disclose when they're selling so that the average investor is not left holding the bag. That would be the classic uh, version of what is now the kids call a rug pull. Uh, but anyway, Monday was, the article didn't say that, I said that, uh, the Monday was 180 days when BuzzFeed, the media company of course, went public. And since most lockups expire 90 to 180 days after a company goes public, investors could finally sell, and they did. Uh, BuzzFeed's uh, stock plummeted 41% on Monday, shortly after a ban preventing executives and major institutional investors from selling their shares was lifted. A BuzzFeed spokesman attributed the volatility to the lockup period, which he said expired on June 1st. He said the company had a very low float and few owners of its stock, making it sensitive to extreme fluctuation when major investors sell. Give that guy an A-plus or an F in PR communications, <laughs> <laughs> because that was the, exactly the wrong message to send to the market. But anyway, we digress. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, basically, BuzzFeed... Uh, and uh, others are starting to see this with SPACs. Basically, Forbes, uh, in a similar way, has seen their deal go completely south. Uh, and uh, others, such as the company that took uh, BuzzFeed public, uh, also there's a whole trend here about de-SPACing and, and trying to get rid of things that have just basically had all the air sucked out of yeah. them. What say you to this, Mr. Polizzi? Is this sort of like... We talked, you know, I don't know whether it was a year and a half ago around how all these media companies were now going to go public through SPACs, and now it just seems like the whole the whole thing's coming unglued. Well, first, at first I thought, is this a media SPAC thing? Because that's what this article talks about. But No, I don't think it well, is. Well, that's yeah, what I, yeah. I, I did a little bit. Of, like, this is from April 2022 from CB Insights, and they took a bunch of stuff together. So this is interesting. So in the first two months of 2022, the average redemption rate for a SPAC merger reached 80%, meaning four out of five shares were redeemed before the target was even acquired, up from 50% right. in 21 and 20% in 2020. So in 2020, that's great. Everybody's holding. They're probably smarter investing. Then everybody starts to get on this SPAC train. And here we are. It's funny. There's an article right underneath it from your friends at McKinsey. Uh, a recipe for long-term SPAC success. I know how much you love McKinsey. Um, so <laughs> it, it's um, well said. The, the, the problem, I mean, for those of you that 
haven't grown up in the media industry, the problem is when you financialize the the media business model too much. And it's easy to financialize it because you get some CFO in there that just looks at revenues and expenses and doesn't know about the relationships and doesn't know about the programs and the investment in editorial and whatever. A SPAC just takes that and multiplies it by 12. You basically are just saying, this is an asset. This is it. We don't care about the audience, the community, whatever, unless they generate X amount of money at X, you know, X percent of revenue and X percent of profit, whatever the case is. And so, okay, SPACs in general, we're looking like free money for a while. It's too good to be true. Here's where we're at. But just horrible for these media companies that have just been decimated. You mentioned the Forbes thing, which is in this article. So that one, it announced its acquisition SPAC thing at $630 million valuation. And then we covered in February about Binance agreeing to invest $200 million in it. But none of that's happening right now as of... New York Times on May 31st. So what? A, cr- a bunch of craziness. So it seems oh, yeah. worse, though. I mean, it seems worse for media companies, though. It does, doesn't it? I mean, it's the well, specs I, in general. Well, I think, but- yeah. I, I think, again, it goes back to our, we talked about on a couple of weeks ago about the Netflix moment, um, which seems to have sort of been the pivot point for so much of the media industry. Um and, you know, how everybody was getting, uh, you know, to use Professor Galloway's term, taken to the woodshed um, on, on their stock price. And so I think if, if I, I haven't seen the data on this, but I would assume, yes, that media SPACs are getting, getting slammed with this because of how much air is getting pulled out of the room of media stocks, generally speaking. And, you know, this is the problem with a media or any SPAC, which is, there's a reason that these companies haven't gone public yet. And some of it is not, it doesn't have to do with the fact that they just don't have the complexity to take themselves public. Some of it's, they're, they're just not ready. Their, their business model isn't ready. The revenue model isn't ready. The profitability isn't there. And so the thinking is that you just roll them all up with some you know, blank check company and then all of a sudden put them into a company that you, take, that you ultimately take public is going to solve some magic pill. It just doesn't. And the problem is, is that you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So you might be a star little company inside of a SPAC and you're getting lumped in with everybody else that's sucking wind at the moment. And yeah. it, it just makes you look horrible. It just ma- and So all these companies are like, ah, try and undo the, you know, the, the big ball of twine that is this SPAC. And you've got to, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to unpeel a lot of values, and just nobody wants to be part of them, right? Well, now. and it's also understandable. And also, media companies are very, very sensitive to what's going on in the economy. So if you like, if somebody signs and says, "Oh, I'm, I'm taking a 12-year digital advertising deal with you," a 12, 12, I'm sorry, 12-month advertising deal, get all these things, it's worth a couple million dollars or whatever. They can actually back out of that generally. If they need to. Exactly. So you had BuzzFeed. We t- I don't know when they came out with their numbers. We talked about it a couple of years ago where they, they were losing money, losing money, losing money. And then all of a sudden they're looking good. And then they were projected in, I don't know what it was, 23, 24 to make a ton of money. And we're looking at that like, yeah, if everything goes perfect and there's not a pandemic and there's not recession. <laughs> right. And there's exactly. not, you know, all yeah. that stuff. And there's no inflation. 
So it's, it's very difficult to do that because it's not like uh, we actually make a product and that product is shipped, scheduled and shipped to go somewhere, somebody that needs that for their product. That is not the case at all. People can stop their advertising programs almost on a dime. So That's such a great point. That's such a great point is that it happens so quickly that it, you know, that, that the, you know, it's very hard to stop a supply chain and product and retail and, you know, that, that's sort of like waves that sort of, you know, ripple back to the ultimate manufacturer. So you go, oh, they, you know, they, they, they see that effect of, of the damage, you know, months, quarters, years, sometimes later, um, you know, the baby formula is a great, you know, it's a great example of that, right? You know, the shortage of baby formula right now was something that really got put into place, you know, years ago, really. And then, you know, and quarters ago from a supply chain issue, but it's just now really hitting the, you know, hitting the, hitting the shores as it were. So, but media is a different story where it's literally days and months that can be measured in how quickly things can go completely well, sideways. Other, you're right. And the other thing is people don't think about this as well. This is, I remember this happening in 2001 when I was at Penton, right before, I mean, we were going through mini recession, especially in the events industry. And one of our properties had a big manufacturing event. And the sponsor, so this is at the end of the year, and the sponsor to go into next year, the biggest one who got the biggest booth for the most money backed out. Well, in that category, this person, the company that had the second biggest space and that heard about it and said, well, if they're not sponsoring, we don't need to sponsor and we're not going. And then it went right down the line. And then all five of the biggest um, exhibitors in that category said, we're not sponsored. Well, they killed the entire show just from yeah. just from that one company saying, I'm not going to do it anymore because they all follow what, you know, if you have Pepsi, Coke, you know, whatever, they all want to be together at the same thing. But if you get one that backs out, they're going to say, well, maybe we don't need to go because our biggest competitor's not there. So it's just a different animal altogether. It's crazy. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah fascinating stuff. And more to come yeah. for sure. And now a word from today's sponsor, Superside. Hey there, gang. This is Joe. Question for you. Have you ever worked with a big design agency? Well, I have, and I didn't enjoy it one bit. Long wait times, too many revisions, oh, and the cost. This is too much for me to handle. So I have to tell you, I was pretty pleased to learn about Superside, a one-stop shop for good design. I'm, I'm kind of liking their unique subscription service that gives you access to designers from around the world and the design process, well, you absolutely need to check it out. In talking with the good folks from Superside, they said this old marketing listeners can expect 20 times faster results than an in-house team, a 50% cost reduction, and 70% faster. I was thinking about that. So if I was running a 100-meter dash and using Superside, and you were using an in-house team or a big design agency, I'd be finished and you'd be at the 30-meter mark. Okay, well, not the best example, but you get the point. Superside is offering a one-month credit to this old marketing listeners when signing up for an annual subscription. That's a $3,000 value. Go to superside.com slash L slash this old marketing. Superside.com slash L slash this old marketing. Or just click on the link in the show notes. And please do that so Superside knows where you heard this from and they will continue to support this show. Scale your design. Add capacity without headcount. 
keep in-house team focused and easily store and share files. Check out SuperSide. And now, back to your favorite marketing show. On this. All right, let's move on to our next story here, which is a, well, let's just call it interesting. Boo! <laughs> this comes to us courtesy of Bloomberg. Uh, there's another uh, link we'll put in from protocol.com uh, and then uh, another one that we'll cover here in the broader scheme of things from actually The Hustle. Uh, and the the article I'll read here to sort of tee things up here is from Bloomberg. I have to tell you that as I literally lo- load this up to read it, the ad at the top of Bloomberg is for Kindrel, the heart of progress. <laughs> We designed oh, technology. What systems. a great name! Remember Kindrel? Yeah, yeah, Kindrel. Fantastic yeah, we talked about Kindrel before. Yeah, Kindrel. Yeah, yeah. Kindrel. yeah. Kindrel. yeah. Kindrel. I like my Kindrel. Kindrel with a glass of sherry. I think is how I like. It. I really prefer my Kindrel well done <laughs> over a bed of rice. Uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. This is the headline: Audio app Clubhouse lays off staff as strategy shifts. The company moves away from categories like news. <laughs> And sports. That just makes me laugh even reading it. Um, the article opens up by saying Clubhouse, the social audio app that became a big hit during the early days of the pandemic, laid off multiple employees this week, according to people familiar with the reductions. The layoffs are part of a broader restructuring and rethinking of the audio app strategy. Um, some employees chose to leave on their own as the company cuts back some of the program airing as it had focused on before, such as sports, news, and international, according to the people, who asked not to be identified because the discussions were private. A handful of roles were eliminated as part of streamlining our team, and a few individuals decided to pursue other opportunities, said a spokesperson for Clubhouse in an emailed statement. We are continuing to recruit for many roles across the engineering, product, and design area. Uh, Three women tweeted their departures from the company on June 1st, including Nina Gregory, a national public uh, radio alum who had uh, news partnerships, Anu Atluru, who was head of community, and Arthi Ramanthuri, who was head of international. Sean Brown, head of sports partnerships, announced he was leaving last month, and Stephanie Simon, who was in charge of brand evangelism and development, left late in April. Uh, and then the article goes on to talk a little bit about the skyrocketing growth of, of, of Clubhouse and what it has done. Um, what does this say about, I mean, look, we can talk about Clubhouse for sure, but I'm, it's actually probably more interesting to talk about social audio as a broader topic here. What do you, what, so first of all, what do you think about Clubhouse? And then second, what, what is your take on social audio as a trend? Well, as, as listeners know, I was rooting for Clubhouse to make it, even though I didn't prefer the app myself. Um, what I saw, what I think was interesting, um, our friend Tom Webster posted this, I think on Facebook, I can't remember, but when all the Clubhouse stuff was coming down and they were struggling a little bit more, he was saying that it's not the technology, he was saying that most people do not do live audio well. If you, because he was talking about the fact that you have all these different programs and most of them are really terrible because anybody can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, sure. But I think so. I think that's one thing. It's but the other thing is, if you look at Twitch streamers and what makes the most successful Twitch streamers work, they don't just stream anytime they want. They have a schedule. They t- like uh, Leash Capiche, who was at 
Creator Economy Expo was talking about how she, I think it's three nights a week, and she gets on at uh, 10 or 10.30 at night, something like that. And I'm, I'm going to get the time wrong. But she's very consistent about when she goes so she can uh, make sure that she sets the expectations of her audience and then she's on when she needs to be on and all that kind of stuff. And what I saw on Clubhouse, and I could be wrong in my experience, but it was all over the place. People were on whenever they want. Sometimes they would go on, oh, we're going to surprise thing. We're going to do whatever. But nobody could set an appointment and set a schedule against when they wanted to listen to their favorite person on Clubhouse or whatever or whatever the program was. So I, I think that it, I think that if you had social audio and you had a set schedule of people, almost like a radio, if you will, it could work. If you had leaders in their particular niches and at particular times, that the, the technology itself I thought was re- really good because if you wanted to ask a question, you could. You could raise your hand. You'd get in there if it was moderated well and you had a good moderator. But a lot of these clubhouse sessions, you had somebody leading it or multiple people that were leading the charge and you didn't have it well moderated. So you get a question. You're like, oh, that person just wasted my time and, and lots of that was happening. And I thought you saw a lot of people backing off the platform. That said, Robert... There still are, I still know a few people, especially ones with tokens that have done some really good super fan token gated only clubhouse. Again, those are scheduled that are doing quite well. So the, okay, 4 billion or whatever evaluation we talked about clubhouse just got too hot too quickly. But I think the technology itself, that type of thing is here to stay. But maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe it is more of a feature than kind of a standalone thing that people will engage in. Yeah, that's well. That's the headline for me. Is that, and that, and something I've said from you said you've always said beginning. it's a feature of it's a feature, and, not an ad. and that's what we product. saw. Twitter yeah. added it as a feature. Discord added it as a feature. Spotify added it as, yep. as a feature. Yeah, yeah, and and it will you know the market for what you're talking about is exactly right, and you know. The other thing I said in the early days about Clubhouse was I thought they made a huge mistake by trying to go mass when they should have stayed exclusive. The, the, the coolness, the interesting part of Clubhouse was always the red carpet, you know, giant bouncer standing in your way of getting into where the cool kids were having shows, right? It was almost like going to the comedy club. You know, back in the day, you would go to the comedy store, for example, and this is before the days of the internet, by the way, you would go to the comedy store and you would wait out line in line on a Tuesday night, not knowing who was going to be on the bill. I mean, maybe they had somebody that might be featured that you'd know, but you wouldn't know because it would be whoever was feeling like doing five minutes. Yeah. So you'd go to the comedy store and you just have an evening of comedy and, oh, you might get Robin Williams, you might get Jerry Seinfeld, you might get Jay Leno, you might get, you know, you might get anybody. And so that was the entire deal was the exclusivity of getting in on a Tuesday night was all about you go in and have this experience and this event. And that's what they had in the early days was you could go in and hear Gary Vaynerchuk or you could hear the head of Andreessen Horowitz or you could hear, you know, whoever it was and you could go in and hear these live shows and that would be the cool thing. And when they decided then to just remove all of that and, be, and become this mass media, it gets to exactly what Tom was talking about, which is who cares anymore? Now, I don't, you know, I don't need to go on the clubhouse to listen to some chucklehead talk about crypto. I just don't. 
unless this person is really talented and has a regularly scheduled show, <clears throat> and that cream would rise to the crop, as you note, you know, as you noted that it did. So, as a feature within Twitter, within Spotify, within Amazon, which is who I thought maybe might do this, something like this, within some place where you're going to subscribe to a bunch of content, and some of it might be live event certain, date certain types of content, I think it would really work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the key is to build in that exclusivity, right? So if I'm Spotify, I'm going to build like a live station, if you will, that has programming. And maybe you even, you know, maybe you even obscure like who's, you know, just come in and we're going to have some special guest stars. So you're going to want to be here for this, you know, and tune in. You know, a little bit like, um, you know, have you watched the thing, the David Letterman show, the, 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 the you know, and the and, interview and special, my next death guest. Yeah. I just yeah, watched my the next Ryan guest Reynolds needs no introduction. Great. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. The audience doesn't know who's going to be there, right? They just know that it's David Letterman and then he's going to interview somebody and it's going to be awesome. That kind of thing for, 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 for this kind of application would be, I think, really interesting and monetizable, but not, not at a $4 billion valuation. It, it's, a, it's a nice feature for a media company, not a product. Well, and so I take no pleasure in being right, but, but it was, it was, it was kind of easy to see that this was going to go. Social audio, by the way, I think is going the same way. I think social, social audio to the extent, you know, private discords aside, because I think that's an interesting application of it, a community that gets together for you know, a coffee clatch or a, you know, a, a monthly audio meeting or something like that. Fantastic. It's a feature within Discord. I think it'll be great. But as its own thing, I, I think it's a niche, niche, niche at I best. think it's, it's radio. It's internet radio. I don't say. Yeah, I, that's right. That's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. It's so, so I think it will be. It's podcasting. It's live podcasting. It's live podcasting. That's why Spotify just renamed everything to just Spotify live. That's it. It's just. Yeah, and, that's right. And if you know how to run a live show, then great. And there's all intricacies in doing that. But to your point about they just got too big too quickly, that might have been the thing. I mean, if you look at look at any stock, look at any company that had that, you know, going to the sky moment, the globe.com. Everybody remembers that the stock just blew, you know, took off. Nobody even knew what was going on. It always comes down. It's that slow steady. And you know why I like that we talked about it on this show, that Be Real app? That I had no friends on that I <laughs> that I tried to use. Yeah, we're all right. They've yeah, you been tried just that. slow. I mean, they've got well, I don't know three million active users now. They're just slow and steady. They're not going crazy. They're not opening up to everybody, and I think they're going to do really well because they're just you know adding their twenty percent, thirty percent every month, and they're really it's great growth. But it's not you know what Clubhouse did, and they just went skyrocketing when they probably should have just hey, let's just keep keep doing our thing. We don't want everybody to know about us yet. Let's work out all the bugs. Let's get a business model that makes sense. It's very tough to to do that. So. Somebody somebody walked into A16 and literally stood at the foot of the table and went, "The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works." Greed clarifies. It greed cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its form, greed for life, money, love. Greed, mark my words, will save Teldar paper. I mean, <laughs> Clubhouse. <laughs> and it will save you, too. When did this... Did when, you like that? I did that from memory. I did that from memory. Really, that's did that very from memory. impressive. Um, 
when yeah thank you when when did clubhouse get their valuation of four billion wasn't it like april of 21 yes yeah it was like spring early spring spring of 20 early spring of 20 that was right at the boom times of nfts it was everything was booming the stock market everything was up at that point and there was silly money going on yes it's like whatever. Yep, and spacs and spacs were all the thing. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, but too bad. Like yeah. I know Nina Gregory was one of the people that left Clubhouse. She was a sweetheart. I talked to her quite a few times. Um, it with in regards to Creator Economy Expo. I'm just I feel bad. There's a lot of really smart people that I'm sure will do. Oh, fine there's some really talented really, people. It's really good opportunities elsewhere. But this is the thing, you know, with with Twitter, with Clubhouse. With all of these things, there are fantastically talented people that get derailed by bad decisions. And, you know, and the good news in all of that is that most of those very talented people will find, will find their way. The churn is good. You know, the churn is, the churn is going to be ultimately good for them because they will ultimately find success. The challenge is that there will be a few of them, very talented people who, will fall through the cracks because of bad decisions that they had no, you know, they had no agency in making. We've all been, I mean, I don't know if you've been a part of those, but I've been a part of a couple, oh, couple my startups God. that I, just I lived went downhill. In, yeah. And, you know, I lived it in 2001 and in web 1.0, I just watched amazingly talented people get thrown to the wolves and to, you know, and to bankruptcy in some cases by, you know, bad decisions that uh, that other people made on their behalf, you know, so great technology people, great marketing people, great salespeople who joined bad startups that were just where not just, you know, like unfortunate decisions were made where bad decisions were made yep. and, 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 you know, and suffered because of it's, it, so. it was so hard at that time. I remember, I mean, I was a part of a, uh, it was basically a virtual show for different B2B niches, which is beautiful. It was a beautiful model, everything. but we tried to scale so fast. And then as soon as we hit the, what is the, well, 2001, 2002, and you hit and had a media recession, everything was just done. It could have been yeah. So that's right. It was it was tough. To, we put a lot of effort into making that thing go. But the the one learning that I have out of that is is that you work out your bugs on one niche and one audience first. Don't just think I've got a really good idea. Let's launch it out to twelve different communities at the same time. Never do that. Yeah. <laughs> but we had no, I had to learn that I mean, firsthand. It was not fun. I worked for. I worked for a startup. Uh, I worked on the very beginnings of a startup, the business strategy as well as the technology strategy for a company in 1999 <clears throat> that their whole thing, their mission was to what they wanted to do was their stated mission anyway, was to close the digital divide. That, in fact, that was their tagline, closing the digital divide. And in those days, I don't know if you remember or not, that you know, lower income, you know, usually much, you know, <laughs> much different neighborhoods and much different, you know, parts of our, of our culture were struggling with the whole technology thing, the internet. No, you know, there was not access in some neighborhoods to the internet. There were not computers in, in those neighborhoods. And so there was a big digital divide between, um, you know, the, the, a lot of, of, of really income disparity 
And there was this effort from this startup. They wanted to create basically their their sort of pitch in a sentence was they wanted to create the AOL for the digital divide. Basically, they wanted to give computers away, give internet access away, and create an online service that really served um, minority cultures. And it was a phenomenal idea. And then they got greedy. And then they basically started to say, hey, the way that we can grow this thing is to do this and to do that. And they made some really awful decisions in terms of greed and how much they wanted to raise and money and all sorts of things. And it blew up the company. And some really cool ideas got lost in that. Some really interesting people that were focused on some interesting things got lost in that wash because, you know, that just people made bad decisions about getting greedy and not and not staying true to something that could have been very valuable. Sad. I'm getting depressed now talking about our, our, our <laughs> well, the things that we've talk- done to over 20 years ago yeah. now. But oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Let's continue. Look, here's on a, with here's this a here's podcast. an interesting yeah, exactly. So here's a fun one for you. Uh, we, I, I guess, somebody said we needed another search engine. Um, and so Ahrefs, uh, the wonderful search engine company, uh, the you know search engine marketing company, I should say, uh, has launched a new one, and it's called Yep, uh, Y-E-P. Uh, and the, basically the article that we'll link to comes from Search Engine Land, although there's a couple of places covering it. Uh, and Yep is a general purpose web search engine, kind of like Google. Uh, yep will soon be available in all countries and in most languages, and I've seen it. It's, it's working, so if you want to go to yep.com, you can actually go look at it. They are positioning it as a Google competitor. Uh, and uh, this is going to be like DuckDuckGo or some of the other competitors that are out there. Yep, as it says in the press release, will not collect personal information, geolocation, name, gender, age. By default, your Yep search history will not be stored anywhere. What Yep will rely on is aggregated search statistics to improve algorithms, spelling corrections, and search suggestions, said the company. In other words, we do save certain data on searches, but never in a personally identifiable way, said A. HREF CEO, uh, Dimitro Garismenko. I hope I pronounced that correctly. For example, we will track how many times a word is searched and the position of the link getting the most clicks, but we won't create your profile for targeted advertising. The article goes on to say that the plan for AHREF search engine is a 90-10 profit sharing model where AHREF shares 90% of its advertising profits with content publishers. The reason, says a yep, is that Google displays content in search results without the need to actually click through the website. That means websites are losing traffic for many sites, so creators who make search results possible deserve to be paid for their work, says Garris Menko. Uh, we saw how YouTube's profit-sharing model made the whole video-making industry thrive, splitting advertising profits 90-10 with content authors. We want to give a push toward treating talent fairly. He said, Let, for example, Wikipedia could probably earn a few billion dollars a year from its content. Uh, they'd be able to stop asking for donations and start paying the people who polish their article a decent salary. I suspect Wikipedia has something to say about that, but uh, for now, what do you... I did the math, and so I... I uh, yeah, what's, that what does the math struck th- me as, What does the math tell you? Well, it's just... It's not true. I mean, <laughs> it's just not going to be... It's just not going to work out that well for, for anybody. Um, you know, look, I this is rough back-of-the-envelope math, by the way, here. And so let's uh, I, the the numbers i've seen on the traffic just pure traffic to wikipedia is 
I, this was actually surprising to me, uh, which was uh, six, what is it there? It's a 600 billion impressions every year, uh, which is pretty, pretty meaningful. Um, and so, uh, excuse me, 60 billion, not 600 billion, 60 billion a year impressions. Okay. So that's based roughly, uh, you know, 5 billion a month, 5 billion impressions per, per month. And so if you do the math there and you go, okay, well, that's, uh, you know, 60 billion of year impressions and you do a, you know, 1% click through, which is how you'd get paid on advertising, right? You know, that's if you click on a link, that's how you pay for search advertising. Well, if you, let's keep the math easy and do a 1% click through rate where a revenue would be generated for that ad. Well, that gives you roughly six, uh, 600 million uh, clicks, if you do that right. And so if you go, okay, excuse me, 600,000 clicks. And then if you put a $3 CPM to that, you get basically uh, at the end of the, the math, you get $1.8 million for, uh, for, you know, for Wikipedia, if that were to hold true, if they were to pay the 10% of those, you know, of that, of that, uh, of that to, to, to them. The problem with that is, is that of course they don't get Google size traffic. Right, you know. So if you look at DuckDuckGo, which is getting basically the number of traffic per year that Google gets in three days, so let's just divide that by a hundred. Well, then you get to a number more like you know eighteen thousand dollars per year to go to Wikipedia. So when we start translating that to content creators who aren't generating six hundred billion impressions or sixty billion impressions, rather, you start to see that the money isn't going to quite be what they think it might be yeah. and it's not it's just you know it, it's not it, this is not some revolutionary thing for sure uh it's it's interesting that they're going to give this 90 10 split it, it it's very vague on how they're going to give this 90 10 split i just to me my biggest takeaway and headline for this is that they totally missed their opportunity we talked about last week how Answer the Public was acquired. I actually did some further research into that, by the way, with the Answer the Public thing, because I wrote about it um, for CMI. And the, the fascinating thing is, is that there, if you go to the Answer the Public um, uh, Twitter account, the CEO of Coverage Book, the people who owned it and then sold it off to uh, Neil Patel's company, uh, talked about some of the metrics they had. They had 1,500 customers, basically, paying somewhere on the average of about a thousand dollars a year so that's real that was making money their little content marketing project was making some decent money and so i'm going to assume that the acquisition was for real but the whole point was is that they built that to be they built answer the public to be a link building exercise as he put it it was a, it was an seo play for them for content and and it worked and it was great and all those kinds of things so to me what ahrefs is doing here is doing a similar kind of thing as launching a public search engine to attract attention, attract, you know, it's a content marketing play, That's right? Exact, they're, they're trying to build utility. That's and, exactly right. And yeah, and so why, to me, they didn't go in the most obvious and coolest and most interesting direction here, which is give me a search engine for marketers. Like if I'm a marketer and I want to go use a search engine that spiders every marketing site out there and just filters out all the crap. Yep like really curates a high degree you know, of the thousands or tens of thousands of marketing sites and gives me a powerful marketing search engine, well, now I've got something for a very niche audience with a very specific purpose that provides specific value 
and demonstrates what they're trying to demonstrate. Then all of a sudden you monetize that. Now you got something there. Well, first of all, I I'm not going to check your math, so I'm just going to say you you did a yeah, good job. Yeah, my math is it's all back of the whatever, en- it's all back of the is. envelope stuff. Yeah. You, the the yeah. first point um, you just said it, it. This is a this is a content marketing initiative. I would I would say that the mission of this is noble, and I mean everyone thinks that you know Google doesn't pay its creators at all or enough or whatever with YouTube and and that they're taking <laughs> you know the 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 whatever the result zero where they don't pull anything from the you don't click on the creator site all those things are true so this is out there they've created this as the solution but ultimately if you go to yep.com there's lots of links to hrefs so you've got that going on but i i think that your request for a marketing search engine i think that's the next step for them i think they just didn't do that yet i think that's what they're going to do which I ah, think we'll okay. work real. Right. that's my when I when I went to this, the first thing, first last middle thing that came, I said this is marketing. It re- could be really good marketing, and I'm looking around, I'm clicking, and I'm oh, I got on there. I didn't, didn't take me very too many clicks to get to their job postings, to get to information about yeah, the company. Exactly. Right. So this right. is this was you know not even sneaky content marketing in my opinion, and it works fairly well. I mean, I did some searches on it, works great. I don't have any problem with it. So. But I think the next iteration would be, and it, maybe that should have been the first iteration, was just to be, hey, we created this marketing search engine. You don't have to go to Google yeah. anymore. I think that's what's coming. Yeah, to me, to me, vertical search is the next disruptive space when it comes to search. It's not trying to compete with Google on the global, you know, on a global search or or wide consumer search. You know, it. And, I mean, you look at Amazon, right? So Amazon, I think now is the number one search engine for products. Yeah. You look at, uh, I think it's Kayak is the number one search engine for travel. And you look at Apple, uh, I think is the number one search, maybe just slightly behind Google in maps, locations, and so on and so forth. Vertical search is a place where you can compete against Google because they have to include everything. And your whole point is you're not including Anything that's outside the vertical, you're editorializing that you're, that you're, it. You're editorializing exactly. the search, and there's nothing you're editorializing wrong with that. search. Yeah. It's great, right? And so, making that for specific audiences, and in this case, a B two B audience, seems like a no brainer to me. I would just throw out that vertical search was an actual thing twenty years ago. I know, right? Wasn't, exactly. And the time probably wasn't there <laughs> yet because Google was dominant, had better technology. There were there wasn't as many web pages out there. Now, today, I really do believe, like, we, I think we all thought, Robert, that Google was the best product, even when vertical search was going on. We could editorialize that, but Google still did it better. I think now you can make the case that they can't and don't. And you, we've, I've seen Agreed. searches that just are just not good. So there's yeah. an opportunity yeah. now for that. There's a lot of noise. There's yeah. a lot of the noise that can get cleaned up, and it's it's yeah. There's an opportunity there, oh, and I wish them the best yeah, of luck. So I think I. it's a so really I. cool. I think there's. I think there is really something cool there. Idea. I think there is something there. Yes. Yeah, and I hope they. I hope they do well with it. All right, let's move on to our last quick uh, news item that we want to cover here before we get to rants and raves. Uh, the headline, and this comes courtesy of TechCrunch, uh, is Web three startup Galaxy. Uh, raises $26 million to give content creators their own social tokens. Huh. wonder where I've heard that before. Huh. Uh, the success of websites like Cameo 
have shown that people want personalized interactions with celebrities and Web3 companies, and they're emerging to provide creators with a way to do that while valuing themselves. Solo Kise, that's co-founder of Galaxy, said to TechCrunch, Galaxy... A Web3 social marketplace has raised $26 million in a strategic funding led by Animoca Brands and HBAR Foundation with support from Polygon, companies that I've never heard of before, but there you go. Um, This raise follows a $7.5 million uh, round in 2021 with uh, investors like Animoca, Redbeard Ventures, ArcStream Capital, NGC, Genesis Block, a whole list of like venture people throwing money at this thing. The name Galaxy is a portmanteau of Creator's Galaxy. Ah, oh, I see what they did there. See what they did there, Joe? Mm-hmm. See what I, see yeah. okay. I see it. I see it. The startup aims to build new infrastructure that allows content creators ranging from small influencers to big-time celebrities to have ownership and equitable exchange of value compared to the current social media landscape. Basically, as they say, uh, people could buy an Ezekiel Elliott coin and God help me if Ezekiel Elliott joins this. Uh, People can buy an Ezekiel Elliott coin in order to buy a call with Ezekiel Elliott, says Kisei. Every coin attached to celebrities begins pegged at a one-to-one ratio in line with stablecoin U.S. dollar. So it won't fluctuate in value because fans don't want to deal with volatility. So in this case, $20 is worth 20 Ezekiel Elliott coins, he said. Why we even have an Ezekiel Elliott coin at that point is kind of weird but all right let's just say i don't i don't don't really know i could just buy a dollar but anyway (laughs) the the article the article then goes on to talk about the rest of the plans for this with youtube and facebook and why they're different and all those kinds of things so uh if we haven't already tipped our hand do you have any thoughts on galaxy mr first of all yes this was the first time i heard of galaxy i just talked to a very nice company called minted the other day they do do the same thing of course you and i have uh rally tokens lots more of these companies that are getting involved this is my i know you have a take my take's a little bit different i think i'm a little concerned because regulation is coming and this TechCrunch feels a lot like this is these are going to be securities. And you get into big trouble with this. And Rally has taught us very well is you, you do not pitch this like you're going to make money, like an investment, nothing like this. It's a utility. And it's a fan support tool. It is not a security. It's not an investment. And this, this just reads funny to me, Robert. So I would just, I'm a little concerned we know and we want regulation. We know regulation is coming. And I, I think that um, you, you would want to, let's say Ezekiel Elliott was going to have his own coin. You would want to do it in a way that you support Ezekiel Elliott or you get access to Ezekiel Elliott. Don't give me this one to one ratio and pegging it against USDC and all this stuff. That means nothing to me and it concerns me at the same time. So that's my. My, and there, there's going to be about another 10 companies that, that launch in the next six months that do the exact same thing because everybody threw their, uh, all their money and their bets behind NFTs, which they probably should have. So, But you say 90% of the market's NFTs, you got 10% that's social tokens, fan tokens. There is a case there for fan tokens to work or social tokens to work, and, uh, and Galaxy might be part of that, but uh, I'm concerned with the way they position this. So I know, what's your take on it? Uh, well, exactly that. I mean, you know, the, the so it, now to be fair, in the TechCrunch article, they do the uh, Kise says 
uh, you know, he just sort of backs up after after stating that and how much it's pegged to the U.S. dollar. It, basically, the article, I think, gave him a chance to walk some of that back and said, well, in the future, Kisei said he expects that the tokens on Galaxy might fluctuate based on market demand and each creator could have dynamically priced assets, but they're currently pegged at value to the U.S. dollar, which is basically them walking back something to say, you know, there there might be some value in this in the future, but right now there's not. Um, I, you know, I just don't understand how this is any different from Cameo other than the fact that you can theoretically buy different kinds of access. Like, you know, on Cameo, you go on, you get, uh, you know, w- we did this. We used Cameo for when we celebrated our 300th right. episode. We had the lovely, wonderful, talented Gary Busey sing us a little song, which is still one of my favorite things ever. Um, and, you know, it cost us, uh, I think it was 120 bucks or something like that to get that done. And so, great. It was money well spent. Totally money well spent. Totally fun. Interesting. There is zero need here for a creator coin. To me, and you can see Rally going this way too, in my opinion, you can see Rally's really sort of understanding that the investment side of this is fraught for pain, emotion, you know, difficulty, regulation. It's just, it's just challenging. And so they're pushing content creators that are that have creator coin um and i think rightfully so by the way and to to look at coin much more as a loyalty play to gamify loyalty to provide access um based you know basically chips in a casino kind of thing instead of sort of trying to create something that is worth more as an investment like you're buying shares of stock or something and 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 that I think is a it, it, just exactly to your point. I think that's the place where this is likely to go in a bad way. Um, you know, if it does go in a bad way, is that people are you know we've seen this happen firsthand with with creator coins. You know, where you know individuals have played around with the investment model of it and maybe taken too much out or put too much in and really run up the price or run down the price. And then there's a run on the coin and people get mad because they invested and then they got the rug pulled out from underneath them. You know, there's, there's some, there's some dramatic things that happen here over what right now with crypto being where it is over not a lot of money, but at some point it is going to be a lot of money. And, and that's where, this is going to get funky fast. I mean, we heard when was it two weeks ago? What we didn't—I don't think we covered it on the show at all. But you know, the whole uh, what celebrity is it? It's uh, uh, the the boxer um, who is now in deep trouble, uh, Mayweather, okay. who's now in deep trouble for perhaps you know doing a, a scam with with with, uh, with with NFTs and sort of driving up the price and then, you know, maybe, maybe not. And maybe, you know, maybe running a little bit of a scam here, um, all those kinds of things. So I think this is where we have to be really careful in the way that we use creator type coins and NFTs to monetize access to people and services where it's just, it's, it's a really, it's really, you know, 
it's a really weird time right now, and it just has to be done very yeah. carefully. The last thing I'll say, you're, uh, kudos to everything you're saying. You're right. The thing is, if people are out there trying to figure out, do I do NFTs or social tokens? 95% of the time, you're probably going to have an NFT project. If you're doing social tokens, that's forever. This is a membership program. You probably have different levels of membership, different levels of access. It is much different play than, hey, I have 100 NFTs that have different uh, uh, properties to them and give different. Ac- it's just NFTs are easier yeah. for people to understand, easier to get for the most part. And that's why you have it's still, you know, with Rally, with Minted, with Galaxy, they're, they're, they're not purely decentralized plays you have a you know a centralized service that's helping you get this done so this so just uh, and this will be the last thing i say on this i promise just exactly to that point so for my little experiment here you know the experience advisors.io which is now open for business by the way yay, yay. it's now open nice um so you can go you can go check it out um so what i'm encouraging anybody who ultimately becomes a member of experience advisors is actually don't i don't want you to buy idea coin i don't want you to buy it i want to give it to you i just want to you know so in exchange for becoming a member in exchange for ideas in exchange for participation in the community exchange for loyalty to the community you know and value that you add to the community i'm going to give away now if i want to do something like buy some of my time or buy some premium content or buy that what I'm going to do is exactly to your point, I'll issue an NFT for that, right? Because that's a ticket to content that you're buying something, right? I'm buying something with either cryptocurrency or real dollars, and I'm buying access to a particular asset of some kind. That to me feels more correct. Is that, is that yes. generally what you're saying? Yes. It's, it's, yeah. it's just a different, it's, it's just a different type of utility. So one, yeah, I would think one, right. one is like, I like NFT. It's a project. It's more of a, the, the, the campaign focused around some event um, instead of social tokens, which is it's like it's like a forever connection. So you have to make sure there's always some kind of value for them to to leverage that currency. And it's a whole different episode. Yeah. So, hey, congratulations, by the oh. way. For your oh, thank you very much. It's yeah, it's fun. I'll we'll make a we'll make a little bit more of an official we should, like yeah, big, maybe big next episode we'll do that. Yeah, whenever you're ready, we'll, whenever we'll, you're ready. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, we're ready now, but but you oh. know, we're just you know it's 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 a thing. It's it's all, basically the coming soon came off the website. Oh. so yay, yay. Um, okay, so uh, rants and raves. This is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, and we'll do this quickly um, because we're sort of at time. But um, I think we've got both got some fun things sure. to talk about. Um, I've got a very quick one to talk about, but do you want to go first yeah, or shall I? I go just want just really quickly. I I did a podcast about this. I'll put it in the show notes. It's about my belief. You know, we we've talked a lot in this episode about recession. There's a lot of horrible things that happen, but my I guess my uh, I want some motivation out there for content creators to tell them that this this could be really really good time for you whether you're into content marketing or whether you're a content entrepreneur because what happens during recessions and recessionary environments is the people who are focused on their marketing and focused on their products and services and they're not all in on their content creation they stop. This is the time where you see a lot of dead podcasts, a lot of newsletters that go away, YouTube series that are dead. So this is your time to really, really stay focused. So just a couple tips. Who's your core audience? 
What's that niche that you can dominate at? Focus on what's most important there. Number two, this is your opportunity to diversify revenue streams. If you're in content marketing, don't just look at it as one lead. What are the other things that you can bring to the table from an experience standpoint that can really show that you're doing well from a content creator standpoint? This is where if you're just focused on YouTube ads, this is where you look at a membership um, uh, program. This is where you look at donations. This is where you look at Web3. This is where you look at affiliate. This is where you might launch a virtual event, whatever. And then number three is you've got to stay the course and do not stop. This is where you have to look at your frequency and you look at your consistency and you say, this is, this is where I'm going to do this for the next 12 to 18 months. And if you do these three things, you will come out of this recession in really, really good position because your competition will drop every day and you'll see it happen. So this is, it's very, very tough to go through a recessionary environment, especially for an entrepreneur when you're trying to put food on the table. But also, if you can figure out a way to get through this and on the other side, you're going to be really in good position. So that's my great that's advice. My take. Yeah. There you go. Great advice and something I needed to actually hear. So it's yeah, it's 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 great advice for. Well, you can subscribe anybody, to the Content really. Inc. podcast and you can listen. Oh listen wow, it, yes. that's fantastic! <laughs> well, I didn't yeah. know there was such a thing. <laughs> what do you? I'm so excited. I know, right? I'm uh, yeah, so it's episode three forty three. Um, just so you know, so there you go. I'm okay. excited. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All what right. What do you got? Yeah, you got a, you you got a co-host on that thing. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. All right. Two very quick things. Uh, if you didn't pay attention, uh, the WWDC, which of course is a worldwide developers conference for Apple, happened this week. Uh, and in it, um, they sort of uh, talked about a number of things, a new iOS, new MacBook Air, all sorts of things that are typically wonderful parts of Apple's announcements. But one of the things that they announced uh, was the sort of follow-on to last year's IDFA, which of course is the uh, email address obfuscation that Apple will now do on its phones when you sign up for stuff. And they'll basically issue you a temporary email address that uh, will be seen on the vendor side, whereas you will get your email subscription and they won't have access to your real email. So it's a fascinating thing, as well as the ability to block apps and websites from going through and tracking you, those sorts of things. This year, uh, they're announcing that they're going to start obfuscating IP addresses. Apple, they said at the uh, was going to start redirecting web traffic through two separate servers in order to obfuscate a user's IP address. Basically, they they're calling it private relay, uh, and there it's like a VPN almost, and it's going to be sort of default for you if you're using an Apple device. Uh, they're starting it very small and and very much a beta test, but this is going to become a bigger and bigger thing. So expect lots of you know you know, chest beating and everything from all the advertising uh, industrial complex companies out there about this. But this is ultimately a good thing for us as marketers, and it's a good thing for us as consumers. What I would suggest is that you start looking at first-party data. You've heard me talk about that ad nauseum, so I won't belabor that here. But first-party data, leaning into that content marketing, content, it's all, you know, part of being able to help um, <clears throat> address the audiences you want to address. Second comes to us courtesy of Ad Exchanger, uh, and it's uh, 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 excuse me, or for Media Post, and it's from uh, Facebook or Meta in this case, and they are developing a new basic ad product. 
uh, that will have little or no data targeting. So they're building a basic ads product aimed at brand advertisers, kind of the same way that you would do brand advertising on broadcast TV. There, you're going to have the ability to create broadcast ads across the Facebook network with uh, with very much lower CPMs, and of course, but the ability to you know much more broadly go without targeting. I think this is an incredibly smart move. I, I it's it's one of those things where I would have never expected Facebook to sort of you know, I guess take, you know, bend over backwards as it were to, to sort of make this happen. Um, but they seem to be sort of, you know, into it. And I think it's a really good move. It's a gutsy move by them, um, to start, we'll see what happens with it, but I think it's one that they needed to make with all of the privacy stuff that's happening now and their own troubles with targeting and advertising and everything that's out there. So I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch, to see, if they indeed make it less expensive, if it is indeed as effective as I think it will be, um, and if it is indeed something that can be the future of how Facebook and Meta grows in terms of an advertising strategy that doesn't necessarily rely on surveillance-based marketing. So all interesting developments when it comes to first-party data and the way that we use it. Um, I think there are two articles that you should get to know and and start to make preparations for your own uh, your own strategies. So just interesting well, stuff. Two things real quick. I, I want to know what the catch is. You don't have to respond, but that's what I'm always <laughs> thinking of. What's the catch? Like, why are they doing this? And the second thing is you can get a Mamby Pamby land t-shirt. I didn't, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get one for you. That's it. Well, I or, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. want a Mamby Pamby land t-shirt. I, I think we I mean, now that I own the domain. Mamby, oh yeah, absolutely. It's really pretty. The man, Mamby Pamby. Land shirt. Is it is it very pretty? Um, <laughs> it's so no, pretty. but I'm kind of digging it now that I'm looking at it. I I sort of okay. want to get who sells this? Uh, it's uh, Captain Mike. <laughs> okay, oh my God. with a K. <laughs> it just gets weirder Captain and weirder. Mike. I'm gonna and yeah. I'm gonna go to Spreadshirt.com and get your Mamby Pamby Land men's T-shirt. I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to get Mamby Pamby Land. Sure. There you go. We can wear it to the Olive Garden (laughs) is what we'll do. God help us. All right. There, that's it for us. We should, we got to get out of here while the getting is good. Uh, special thanks, by the way, to Frank Strong at Frank underscore Strong on Twitter, Heath Dingwell uh, at uh, Heath Dingwell uh, on Twitter, and James Gardner at James Gardner for all the wonderful show ideas. Thank you so much, uh, all of you, for that. And all of you, please hashtag us up. We want those story ideas. We need those story ideas. So hashtag us with this old marketing on Twitter. In the meantime, if you want to get to the podcast show notes and get your own Mamby Pamby Land t-shirt or dive into any of the other 326 episodes, we'll just get on over to our website, thisoldmarketing.site. Until we meet again, well, just remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on Mamby Pamby, This Old Marketing.